Hi, and welcome to this week's LGBT Wellness Podcast. Each week, LGBT HealthLink, a program of Centerlink, brings you a roundup of some of the biggest LGBTQ wellness stories from the past week. Get ready to listen and learn lots. Hi, everyone, and welcome back to another week of our LGBT Wellness Roundup. Don't forget that you can go to blog.lgbthealthlink.org if you want to check out any of these stories for yourself. Let's go to the first piece of the week, Colorado Makes History on Trans Care. Washington Blade reported Colorado became the first state in the country to include transition-related care as an essential health benefit that insurers must cover, following the Biden administration's approval of the plan as required under federal law. Both state and federal officials say the changes will make it easier for trans people to access care that has proven benefits to their well-being and overall health beyond the immediate benefit that they receive from any individual uh, piece of transition-related care. This type of care has increasingly been covered in recent years. Um, Ten years ago, 20 years ago, this was impossible to, to get. But previously, um, there was a lot excluded, um, even within what was covered in Colorado. So right now, this this will fill in a lot of the gaps that were out there um, and make it possible for people to receive, if not all of the transition-related care that they may want, certainly a lot more than was possible beforehand, which is what makes this a newsworthy story. And um, hopefully, we'll see other states following suit in the coming years. In our next story, workplace challenges and lawsuits continue. In a related story to what we just shared, Bloomberg News profiled challenges trans people face in the workplace, including getting access to the care that they need through employers' um, insurance options. One trans woman in Georgia not only fought to have her pronouns recognized at the workplace and to have her gendered uniform changed, but also faced a $6,800 bill for gender-affirming care, something that she's now challenging in court. Dress codes, religious exemptions, and fertility benefits are other areas in which Bloomberg reports trans people are still facing a lot of barriers at the workplace, um, but that have been facing um, increasing court challenges as uh, calling these these types of policies discriminatory and harmful. So again, hopefully an area in which we'll, we'll see progress, but just a reminder uh, of how much work there is left to be done in advancing trans health and trans rights. Next up, LGBT residents face discrimination. Medscape reported on a study finding that LGBT surgery residents were more likely to face bullying, sexual harassment, and discrimination compared to their non-LGBT peers. They were also, not surprisingly, more likely to consider leaving their residency program compared to their non-LGBT peers. The news is concerning not only because of the individual impact on those who are affected, which of course we don't want to see anyone um, facing discrimination or or poor treatment, but also because I think key to improving care for LGBT folks is having more LGBT providers um, out there and having them be able to be um, out and vocal um, about their opinions and their experiences and those of their fellow LGBT people within the, the, the healthcare setting in which they're working. So if people can't come out themselves, if they're not comfortable coming out, if they're not comfortable even practicing in the medical field, obviously that's going to be a huge hindrance, um, not only to overall LGBT advancement um, and our inclusion in all places in society, but also for, for patient care, because patients aren't going to benefit from that institutional knowledge within the health care setting of LGBT people um, who are working there. Next up, some in Oklahoma okay with non-binary. 
The Oklahoman reported that the state's health department issued a non-binary gender marker on a birth certificate for the first time. A non-binary person who now lives in Oregon but who was born in Oklahoma had requested that they make the change, and the health department decided to agree and issue the birth certificate with the non-binary marker. The state's governor responded by asking the legislature to ban the health department from doing so in the future, incorrectly asserting that genders are limited to male and female. So definitely an interesting story playing out there, um, and one that we'll have to keep our eyes on. Um, definitely another example of uh, how important change is at the state level, um, and how much power uh, state governments can have over the lives of trans and non-binary individuals. And our next story, higher mortality for trans folks in the Netherlands. The Journal of the American Medical Association shared new research from the Netherlands finding that trans women there were about twice as likely to lose their lives over a given period of time than were cisgender men, and were three times as likely to lose their lives in that same period than were cisgender women. Trans men also had disparities compared to cisgender women, although not in comparison to cisgender men. While the overall trend was similar across the years, HIV-related and suicide deaths both declined during the period that was included in the study, which researchers say is a small sign of hope that um, at least some of these areas um, where, where we have really um, big disparities facing trans health um, seem to have been contributing less to mortality, but still very concerning that the, that the mortality rates overall for trans folks um, were so much higher than for many of their uh, cisgender counterparts. And in our final story of the week, San Francisco lags on LGBT data. The Bay Area Reporter shared concerns that as California moves towards collecting more LGBT health data than most or any U.S. states are currently doing, San Francisco, which of course is known for its large and vibrant LGBT population, has fallen behind. The city has so far produced little usable data, advocates say. Problems that the health department attributes to changes in its record system, as well as um, their preoccupation with COVID-19 response. The news points out some of the challenges that can come with attempts to increase sexual orientation and gender identity data. It's definitely not as easy as, as just snapping one's fingers. And also here we see the important role that advocates play in holding um, the health uh, department accountable and saying, you know, this data really doesn't tell us much that we can work with. So, um, you know, it's it's a very important goal that we have um, more data on LGBT health, but it's also not an easy goal. It's it's time consuming. It can be expensive, and it requires um, a lot of you know analysis to see is this really what we're what we need to be able to drive change? Because ultimately, we want the data so that we can demonstrate what the problem is and allocate resources towards addressing those disparities. Um, and interesting that even in a very LGBT-friendly um, place with a lot of um, LGBT voters um, who, you know, presumably the city wants to respond to, um, that it's not without its challenges. Well, that concludes another week of our LGBT Wellness Roundup. Thanks, as always, for tuning in. And don't forget that you can go to blog.lgbthealthlink.org if you want to check out any of those stories for yourself. I hope you'll tune in next week for our next edition of the Roundup.